Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of repentance. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saved such as have a contrite spirit. Very important. Does he hear only the perfect people? No. He hears people who are frail, who are sinners, but people who love the Lord and who recognize their error, who confess their sin, who abandon it and go forward. If you're acknowledging it, you're confessing it, but if you're not abandoning it, then you have not repented. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In discussing a contrite spirit, C.H. Spurgeon wrote, What a blessed token for good is a repentant, mourning heart. Just when the sinner condemns himself, the Lord graciously absolves him. And that's a simple truth the psalmist David concluded when he sought out healing for his broken heart. Pastor Xavier continues a verse-by-verse study series of the Psalms, picking up in Psalm 33 today. Let's listen. Have you ever read the Psalms and you wish that you could be as eloquent and crying out to God? (laughs) I mean, David was um, a man of words, a man who could really express his feelings, his devotion, his desire towards God. And yet we need to understand that what we read is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we have to keep that in mind. Psalm 33 is a psalm calling to praise Jehovah in song and instrument for his word and works. In the first three verses, we have the exhortation to praise God in a new song. Verses 4 through 9, to praise him as creator. Verses 10 through 17, as sovereign God over the nations and verses 18 through 22 as Redeemer. And so David cries out here, well, literally, it's not David here, it's just a psalm, we don't know who it is, uh, but most of them to this point have been David. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, and that's the lyre. David was very in that. 1 Samuel 16, 23 tells us that he as he played before Saul. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten string. That's the lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. You know, it's important that as uh, God is moving in the midst of his people, that God raises up people who are skillful in music. Music plays a big role. It did in heaven. Read Isaiah. Read Revelations 5. It should play a big role in the church. You can be very talented and skillful and plain, but if God has not anointed you to play for Him, then you'll only play music. And you will not be anointed to lead people into worship. You'll just be performing. And there's a difference. Now we have a new song. The book of Revelations chapter 5 speaks of the new song of the church in chapter 5 verse 9. And the only ones that can sing that song are the redeemed, the church, no one else. There's a new song that also the 144,000 in Revelation 14.3 will sing. And only they can sing that. They are the 144,000 Jews that will be redeemed from the earth during the tribulation. The church is before the tribulation. The 144 is during the tribulation. There's a big difference. And so each of them has a new song that is declared there. He says, for the word of the Lord is right. Interesting word. When he says, 
and all his work is done in truth. The word truth is faithfulness. You see, all that God does is faithful. I don't always see that. I don't always understand it. But everything he does is in faithfulness. He loves the righteousness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The word goodness there in the Hebrew is a word hesed. It's translated in some other translation, loving kindness, steadfast love. It's a key word in the Old Testament for covenant relationship. He's faithful. In the New Testament, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you even unto the ends of the earth. He's a covenant God, a faithful God. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And so is creative power. And verses 6 here all the way through 9. Genesis 1, he spoke the whole world into existence. John 1, 3 tells us everything was created by him and there's nothing created that wasn't made by him. Colossians 1, uh, 16 speaks about uh, he created all things. He holds all things. He, he maintains and sustains all things. And so he's not only creator, but he's sustainer. And he's also redeemer of creation. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. It's amazing how uh, intelligent man is and yet how stupid he is. He rather believed that man evolved and that man can progressively refine himself when everything around him in nature speaks of decay and disorder. It's illogical. All the geological column cries out creation. No fossils are being made today. Not one fossil. There has never been found any transitional forms. There's been a lot of hypotheses, a lot of lies, a lot of stories, but never any transitional forms. Now, common sense tells you if we make the sanctuary here, this auditorium, point A, and we make your car point B across the street in the parking lot, and you go from point A to point B, and we mark every one of those pair of footprints, A1, A2, A3, A4, A5, A6, all the way down to you get B. And then we take all those footprints and we bury them all over the world. What's the greatest chance that we're going to find the in-betweens rather than the extremes? A lot more. If there truly are transitional forms, there will be more transitional forms than extremes. All we have ever found is extremes. Why? Because that's all there is. Ape and man. And God created both of them. Not evolved. And yet man propounds all these foolish arguments and it's just... Ludicrous. And yet it's so much easier to me to believe that God just said, hey, he's God. And he said, hey, let it be. And that's it. Light be. Earth be. I have no problem with that. Because I don't need to understand it. I know who God is. I know what he can do. And so I have no problems with it. But remember one thing, that the Bible is not a science book, so it's not going to explain to you in scientific terms of creation. God doesn't intend to prove creation. He just tells you he created. And there's a big difference. Verse 9, he says, For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. How interesting. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, God showed him in a dream. He says, listen, you're going to go out the door. Your kingdom's not going to last. It's going to last for a while, but not forever. He gave him a dream and he saw this image and Daniel interpreted it. He says, you're the head of gold. But Medo-Persia is the arms and shoulders of silver. 
And then there'll be another kingdom, the belly of brass, Greece. And then there'll be another empire, the legs of iron, Rome. And there'll be a last empire, a conglomeration and combination of iron and clay of the old Roman Empire comprised of the type of democracy. The only thing is that iron and clay do not mix. It'll fall apart. And the ultimate empire will be a stone cut, not with hands, that will strike the image at the feet and it will crumble and that rock will grow and grow till it consumes the earth. The last empire speaks of Jesus Christ. A rock cut out not with hands speaks of the virgin birth of Christ, God himself, when he will set up the kingdom. He says here that the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And yet he brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Nations will rise and fall. Everything is right on plan with God. God's in control. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen as his own inheritance. When God chooses a people or a nation, that nation is going to be blessed. Look at Israel. But the only thing with blessing, that means responsibility. And God will judge us according to light. And because Israel failed of her responsibility, God turned against Israel and has persecuted Israel by his own hand. There's no other way you can explain Israel apart from the hand of God. Blessing and cursing. Survival. Rebirth. No other way you can explain Israel. You cannot put Israel next to any civilization. No other nation. Nobody in history. There's no explanation for Israel outside of God. No way. And so they have been blessed. But with that blessing comes a lot of pain because of the responsibility. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of His habitation. He looks and on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. And so, what are you trusting in? We're not in the days of armies as in those days or a horse. What are you trusting in? Your bank account? Your job? Your career? Your health? What is your strength? All of it's vain if God's in control. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His mercy. 1 Peter 3.12 quotes this. Those who fear the Lord. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. And so he finishes with a walk of faith. Not by feeling, not by sight, but by faith. Psalm 34. It's a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech and he departed. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. It's an acrostic psalm, uh, meaning it's alphabetically in nature with the Hebrew alphabet except for verse 6. In the first three verses, you have personal praise. In verses 4 through 7, you have a personal testimony. Verses 8 through 10, personal invitation. Verses 11 through 14, you have a personal instruction from the psalmist. And then verses 15 through 22, you have a personal protection on that one who trusts in the Lord. And so, as you know, David was, had just left the kingdom uh, he was running away and he went into Abimelech and he says, listen, I'm on a secret mission. Give me some bread. He says, there's no bread here. Uh, all I've got is a show bread for the priest. He says, well, listen, you know, that's good enough. Give it to us. And he says, well, there's only one condition. Have the men with you. Have they stayed away from women? He says, yeah, we've been on a mission, so we're okay. He says, okay, fine, eat it. 
Now Jesus called attention to that. When the Pharisees came and said, why do your disciples break traditions? Why don't they fast? And, and why this and why that? And, and everything else. And Jesus called up the situation of David. Have you not read when David went in and, and, he, and he ate the, the showbread? And so this is the time when David was doing it. And because he feared, he went over to Achish. But when he got on, the, on, on to King Achish's side, he heard them saying, Saul has killed his thousands, David has tens of thousands, and fear gripped his heart, and he says, Man, I'm in the middle of the enemy. They're going to kill me. And so what he did is he acted like a madman and began to spit all over himself and gravel at the door and everything else. And, and Achish saw him, and they brought him. He says, What do you want? I don't need another madman. Get him out of here. God delivered him. I hope you don't have to get in a position where you have to act like a jackass for God to deliver you. But if you do, God will still deliver you, even though he'll make you feel like a jackass. And David recalls this time. And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And deliver me from all my fears. Now, you've got to use your imagination a little bit. David here is in the midst of the king. He's hearing all these things. And when he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me, he didn't go out and say, well, let me pray, you guys. Right in the midst of all this confusion and this dialogue, he's seeking the Lord. He's talking to the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. And the Lord is delivering him while he's freaking out. Sometimes you're not going to have time to go pray. You're going to have to take care of it while you're freaking out. This is the reality in the context of David's psalm. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamped all around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord could very well be a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. Because we know that God never came down the Father, but only Jesus Christ. He's the one that has revealed the Father. Now verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. And of course, you find that quoted in 1 Peter 2, 3. And also Hebrews 6, 5 speaks about tasting of that which is good, the gift of God. In other words, there needs to be personal experience. You can't benefit from my experience personally. You can learn from it. You can enhance from it. But you have to make God your own uh, Savior, your own Lord. You have to walk with Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. No want means no deficiency or lack. In other words, He is sufficient. The psalmist says, Who do I have in heaven besides you, Lord? Who do I desire on earth except you? He is all sufficient. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So now He instructs. Who is a man who desires life? And loves many days, that he may see good. Here's a man who will see this. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. God won't do that for you. You've got to do that yourself. Human responsibility, divine enablement. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. In these verses, you find the quotation of 1 Peter 3, 10 and 12. The topic of the tongue is found throughout James. 
lest we deceive ourselves. Chapter 1, James says, and then he speaks in chapter 3 about the venomous poison of the tongue and how it destroys lives and sets the world on fire. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his, ear, his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Very important, verse 18. Does he hear only the perfect people? No. He hears people who are frail, who are sinners, who fall short. But people who love the Lord and who recognize their error, who confess their sin, who abandon it, and who make restitution and go forward. That's true repentance. You acknowledge your sin, you confess it, you abandon it, and you make restitution if you can. That is true confession. If you're acknowledging it but you're, and you're confessing it, but if you're not abandoning it, then you have not repented. And if you have ability to make restitution and you haven't made restitution, then you haven't repented. That is repentance according to the Bible. And if there is, then there's a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Underline that. But the Lord delivers him out of all of them. Underline that so you don't get depressed. He guards all his bones. Not one of them shall be broken. Here you have a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus Christ in John 19, and 36. Not a bone was broken while he was on the cross. So this prophecy is messianic in nature. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. The trust and the confidence in the Lord. Psalm 35, a psalm of David. It's a psalm of personal adversity and cry for vindication. It's the first of what's called the imprecatory psalms, calling for vengeance upon those who are afflicting him or his enemies. He says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. And so here the psalmist cries out, also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those who put to shame and brought to dishonor, who seek after my life, let those who turn back and brought to confusion, who plot my hurt. And so here the psalmist is saying, Lord, you fight on my behalf. And I think that God would do so much more for our lives if we would really ask him to fight on our behalf than to try to take it into our own hands many times. Now, how do I discern when I should take care of it when I shouldn't? I have to pray. I have to ask the Lord. And sometimes it's very practical and all I have to do is just do something very simple and to take care of it. But there's some things that, that I'm not even able to take care of and, and God would have me to trust Him. And there's some things that if I try to take care of, I'll only make them worse, so I better trust Him. And again, the responsibility falls on me. I have to go to the Lord. There are no absolutes. There are no patterns. There is no handbook outside of the Bible. I have to go to the Lord and ask Him. In verse 5, He says, Let them be like shaft before the wind. Let them get blown away. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. <laughs> Imagine this angel chasing them running away. I mean, you know, it's funny, but you've got to look at the imagery that is being used here. I mean, David is serious. <laughs> You know, we read in the psalm where one angel went out and wiped out 165,000 in one night. 185,000 Assyrians. 
I mean, you know, you don't want to mess with an angel. He says, let the way be dark and slippery. Let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause, they have hidden their net for me in a pit, which they have dug without cause for my life. Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly and let his net that he has hidden catch himself. In other words, let his plan turn on him. Into that very destruction, let him fall. And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord and it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. The Bible has much to say about the poor because they really have no one to trust him but the Lord. See, we only have the Lord to trust when we feel we need to because we've got so many different props around us. But poor people only have God and they have to trust him all the time. Verse 11. Fierce witness rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. My, I humbled myself with fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. I placed about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourned for his mother. In other words, you know, these guys, I, I, I try to help them. I pray for them. And, and now they're turning on me and, and I, I try to do good to them. And they're rewarding me evil. Now, when that happens, you remember, you're not the first or the last. It happened to David. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But we have to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? And who are we doing it for? That's the bottom line. You can put these verses next to the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 15 says, But in my adversity they rejoiced, and they gathered together, attackers gathered against me, and I did not know it. They tore at me and did not cease. With ungodly mockers at feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lion. I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among many people. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with the eye who hate me without a cause. And the winking is almost like a, a befriending but with deceit or maybe even a, a mockery of, hey, you're going to get it. Body language. For they do not speak peace, but they devise deceitful matters against those who are quiet, quiet in the land. They also open their mouth wide against me and say, aha, aha. Now you're going to find this phrase repeated. So it's kind of a mockery term, you know. Uh, aha, you're going to get yours. Our eyes have seen it. This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so we would have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with the shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, and my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. So again, the psalmist trusting and committing himself to the Lord over and over again. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, closing today with Psalm 35 and a recurring theme for us to remember. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request your own CD copy of this study from a verse-by-verse study series of the Book of Psalms. Today's message is simply titled Psalms chapters 33 through 41 and is available for only $4 upon request. By the way, we'll be including much more material on the CD than our limited time on the air allows. So once again, the title to ask for is Psalms chapters 33 through 41. Or you can always just mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths from the Book of Psalms right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com